Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 11 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And if today is your first time joining the program, I just want to briefly share with you the idea and the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a show that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. I want to offer you hope and encouragement through having at least two guests each week that focus on their journey of servant leadership and how they honor God. Because I truly believe that when you do that, when you work hard and you honor God, blessings will just naturally flow from that as a natural byproduct. Because serving is for everyone in all walks of life. In our previous episodes of the show, you've heard from people like Command Sergeant Major Frank Swerko and how he served people to the military. In business, you heard from Melissa Fitzgerald. In faith, you heard from Pastor Phil Caparelli. Community, Mr. Bob Frollo, who's from this area. And in family, just last week, you heard from how my kids, Paul and Sarah McCullough, are able to serve within our family. And regardless of your walk of life, regardless of what your particular gift sets are, we all have some kind of gift that God has given us. And we need to use that gift to serve other people. When we see a need, we need to fill that need because we're all ministers and we need to use the gifts that God has given us. Now, just a little bit about me. Throughout my military career and since I've retired from the Army about three years ago, I've come to develop two long-term, what I call, church families. One of those is Life Church, where I was there from 2003 to 2012, off and on because of various military assignments. And currently, I'm at Kingsway Church in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I've been there since 2015. And so from my relationships with these two churches, you're going to hear today from two incredible servant leaders. First is Pastor Brian White from Kingsway Church. He's had 21 years of ministry at Kingsway. He served there as the senior pastor for 11 years, and he was also most recently the former superintendent for the New Jersey Ministry Network. In the second half of the show, we're going to hear from Pastor Mike Cherry, who's an Air Force veteran, a police chaplain, a school principal, a pastor, and so much more. When we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Pastor Brian White. Stay with us. We'll be right back. News Talk 1400 WOND. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Pastor Brian White, who I have actually come to know with so many others as PB. Pastor Brian, are you on the line with us today? I am. Hey, Paul. Pastor Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the program here today. It's an honor to be with you. Absolutely, man. I'm excited to uh, talk with you. Well, Pastor Brian, you have done so much in your 21 years of ministry at Kingsway, and I think the most important thing of all of that time is the call. You and I have talked about the importance of the call in dozens of conversations, and I wonder if you would just share with the listening audience, how and when did you know that God was calling you to ministry? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think discerning God's voice, hearing His voice is so critical. You know, I do believe that He does speak to us. I do believe that He leads us. Uh, you know, I'm reminded of Paul's prayer in the latter part of the book of Acts, where he would pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be attentive, and our heart would understand what God is saying to us. And I think that's a great prayer for all of us. Um, my call was not one of a specific moment. It was, uh, I started in architecture school and started serving at a local church near the Kansas City area and just began to, through mentors and through just trying to listen and discern, really had to make a decision, kind of a fork in the road, either uh, continue in architecture and uh, local church ministry in that way or go to Bible college. And so that was kind of a big fork in the road for me, uh, going to a new, uh, moving to a new city, going to a new college. And uh, it was there that really through really a lot of peers and friendship and um, just hearing other guys' stories that I decided that, you know, this was something that, that God had called me into. And I think, you know, I think it's one thing to discern a call, and then I think that you, through ministry or service or whatever it is, you begin to see either fruit from that, and that helps to lead you, you know, kind of to further steps, or maybe you discern that there's a different direction to go. So, you know, I, I can't point to an exact moment I felt called, but um, definitely got leading through the years. Well, when you talk about the idea of just transitioning from the architecture school to Bible college and having friends speak into your life and seeing some fruit come from that. What were the next steps that you took in following that? I mean, you didn't just wake up one day and you were a senior pastor. It was a very long journey for you. So what, what was that like for you, PB, going from Bible college and then what was that next right thing for you after that? Yeah, going to Bible college and just kind of immersing myself in study and then the different ministries that I was, you know, was available to me. I served on a traveling drama team. You know, this is back in the late 90s when that was the in thing to do. And um, my wife actually, my wife-to-be, served on that same traveling drama team. We would travel on the weekends and minister and do services for youth and for full churches. Um, through ministering in that, I was able to meet and connect with um, a professor at our Bible college on a relational level. I, at one point in my life, uh, was going to pursue tennis. I had a tennis scholarship to a university in Oklahoma, and so I loved playing tennis, and he was a tennis player as well. He played collegiately, and so we connected on that on that level, and brilliant man, incredible scholar, uh, did his PhD at Westminster here in Philadelphia, um, and so he ended up inviting me to go to Salt Lake City and to plant a church with him. I was a newly graduated uh, college kid, you know, just had an undergrad in Bible and went and, um, you know, those were, those were amazing years. They were also, you know, fraught with, uh, you know, a young man, um, still trying to, you know, find his, find his place and understand being a disciple of Christ. And, um, so, you know, it was one of walking through doors and then I actually moved to New Jersey so really, uh, really the, the reason was to marry my wife. She is from Connecticut originally and now in New Jersey. And so just walking through doors, you know, wherever, wherever the Lord, I would say to maybe a listener, you know, whatever door God has opened for you, uh, walk through it, serve faithfully, do the best you can. And, you know, the Bible says that your gift will make room for you. 
And so as you serve and your gifts are, are flourishing, I think that opens new doors. And so I would just say it's kind of a step-by-step process. You know, I came to, to Kingsway Church in, in 2000 and started uh, doing youth ministry there with five students in the basement. <laughs> and we, my wife and I also led our kids' ministry for a while. We did worship ministry. We really did whatever was needed uh, in the context of a church of 250 people or so. And then the doors just continued opening until we walked through that door of lead pastor in May of 2009. Wow. That is an incredible journey. But, you know, you mentioned your wife, and that really struck a chord with me. So Mm -hmm. I met my wife, much like you, in college, and we also had a shared activity. We were in Mm -hmm. a church group together called Christian Voices, and it was just the worship team for the local church. And that was really the first place that I got to meet her and connect with her, and we spent a lot of time there. And she had a very, very influential role on many of the decisions in my life and really just pursuing the call to ministry. She had a very uh, profound influence in that as well. Did your wife have some kind of the same type of influence on you throughout your ministry career? She has absolutely uh, had that. You know, I, uh, like many of us back in the uh, college years, I dated uh, a lot of, a lot of girls. And when I, I, when I first met her, I remember the day at the time, I remember where I was sitting on campus. Yeah. There was something very different and distinct about her. She had a Connecticut, New New England accent that drew me to her. Um, And, you know, I think just ministry generally, uh, certainly if you're married, is such a partnership. Um, There's such a support that needs to take place. You know, in the early years, we did ministry side by side. Um, Everything I did, she was there uh, supporting, you know, giving creativity to and then, you know, we have three children. Our oldest is in college now, a freshman. And obviously with children coming, those those times change a little bit. Um, but uh, just who she is and uh, the woman of faith that she is and the support, um, man, I, I cannot imagine doing uh, life ministry, you know, without her. So she's had a profound influence on me for sure. Absolutely. Somebody told me at one point, you don't marry the person that you can live with. You marry the person that you can't live without. And I know that is absolutely true for me, and it sounds like it's true for you as well, Pastor Brian. Yeah. You know, and I would say to that, Paul, that brings up something interesting. You know, I think sometimes that we've had this in our ministry through the years, people look at our marriage now, and uh, young women have come to her and said, I want to meet and marry somebody like your husband. Well, you have to remember that you know, I've been a husband for 21 years. Right. Uh, that's a lot of practice, her, uh, crafting me, discipling me, uh, a lot of uh, forgiveness, repentance, a lot of you know, hard conversations. So you don't, you know, you're not going to find if you're if you're looking for a spouse, if you're asking God for one, you're not going to find the perfect person. Uh, you create that life together through the years, and you want to find somebody that is completely committed to Christ and is humble. Um, and willing to be shaped, and, uh, you know, you just continue to follow together, and then, you know, maybe 21 years later, you can have a marriage that that stands out like others do, you know? Amen. And I remember there was uh, a show, and it was talking about being a prayer warrior, and there was some conflict between a husband and a wife, and the woman was very distraught because the husband wasn't doing a good job, and there was an elderly person in the church that tried to speak words of life into her. She said, stop praying that your husband's going to change. Pray for your marriage. 
just pray for strength just pray for him for his well-being and that absolutely changed their relationship i don't know if you saw his cold war room pastor brian Mm, okay yeah sure sure yeah i think that uh you know prayer and so many people you know we all pray in different ways um there's no right way i don't believe necessarily to pray i find that the morning is definitely the better time for me my mind is more focused and attentive to the lord um but you know i'm i'm an early morning type of person uh, the guy who can get more done between 4 30 and 8 a.m than uh you know, I will the rest of the day. So early morning is definitely better for me. I'm a big journaler as well and love to look back, you know, on uh, what I was thinking and praying through, you know, when seasons gone by. But, um, yeah, prayer is a massive part of, and really not not just prayer, but your intimacy with God. You mm-hmm. know, if, if, if somebody is in ministry and has uh, not continue to pursue just relationship with the Lord, that's how people really get themselves, uh, you know, in a rough place and, and really burn out in many ways. Well, when you talk about prayer, Pastor Brian, I wonder, I mean, is that how you developed the idea of Revo? And that, if I understand it correctly, it was a new program that you helped to institute and develop with your wife. Was that a result of prayer? Yeah, you know, we, we were, we were given a task. Like I said, I moved here to, uh, Ask her to marry me, and we were we were engaged three months and got married. Um, that was before weddings had to be cool and Instagram worthy. <laughs> we just had a very simple wedding with family and friends and loved it. Um, and you know, our pastor at the time, the pastor at Kingsway, said to me, "Would you would you consider staying for the summer and working with the teenagers part time?" And I said, "You know, of course. I, I didn't have a job here. I just moved from Utah." And so we started. I remember our first night was with five students in the basement, uh, five high school students, and we just began to build. We began to, you know, we're we're pretty creative people, fun people, and we just started doing that. And, you know, I remember even in youth ministry teaching our kids to fast and pray. Um, you know, back then uh, we would do that periodically for, for seasons. And, and so prayer, you know, uh, pre-service prayer before youth meetings was a big deal we used to do. And so prayer had a major, you know, part in, I think, any ministry um, that, that we've either created or had a part in creating over the years. Well, when you talk about over the years, you had 21 years at Kingsway and 11 of them were the senior pastor. I, I wonder if there was a most memorable moment, something that just stuck out to you of, man, I can't believe that God did this in our church or in our lives or our family. Yeah. Um, you know, there are, there are, I know most memorable is very, uh, you know, it's one, but if I could share a couple, there were, you know, there have been moments through the years, maybe praying beside a hospital bed for someone, um, that are memorable. You know, being a pastor, one of the occupational hazards are many times you're leading funerals quite often. Yeah. But that is a very sobering moment when you're re- when you're faced with eternity right. and your mortality. So I remember several of those. I remember the day we opened our new building. We did a seven billion dollar renovation and opened that. And you know the architecture of our church building began to speak to the kind of uh, I would say modern flavor of our ministry philosophy. And so I really believe the architecture speaks. Um, and so when we were able to change that architecture and add to and, and really renovate that building, it began to show people kind of the scope of what we were, you know, envisioning God to do. Um, 
I mean, there's there's so many. I don't know. You know, one of the funny stories, Paul, is we we uh, were under construction. We had our Easter service at West High School's relatively new auditorium. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people there, and I got up to preach during that portion of the service. And about eight to ten minutes into my sermon, the fire alarm went off, wow. and uh, everybody has to exit the building. Children, nurseries band, you know, we're all standing outside, it's a very warm Easter Sunday, and they had to clear the building, fire department, the whole nine yards, and then when we finally got to come back in for me to finish my sermon, I would say maybe 30% of the people came back in, most people just left. Wow. (laughs) We always laugh about fire alarm Easter, you know. Um, Wasn't exactly what I had hoped for. Um, but we look back and laugh, you know, at, at, at some of the things that have happened. But, it, you know, it's interesting. I actually just went with a run today uh, uh, with a friend of mine from our church. And he, that was their first Sunday at Kingsway Church, was that Easter. And they did leave early, but he was back the next Sunday. And, you know, I've known him for um, eight or nine years now. So, I don't know, a lot of stories. Stay with us. We'll be right back. From the Jacob Media Studios, you're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Pastor Mike Cherry. Pastor Mike, are you with us? Absolutely. Great to be with you today. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the program. You have done so many different things in your career. I wonder if we could just start with your time in the military, and if you would share with us when and why you joined the Air Force of all the branches. Absolutely. Well, obviously I joined the Air Force because it is the greatest branch that was ever created. I mean, that's a given. (laughs) Uh, I was always wanting to fly airplanes, and so as a kid in high school, I thought, looked at my options and went down to the recruiters one day and signed up uh, without even my parents knowing that I was going down. I signed up when I was 18 years old and entered the Air Force, served for a 20-year career as what's known as an aircraft loadmaster. So we flew on heavy cargo equipment airplanes, 141s and C-17s, uh, to six of the seven continents and about 75 different countries in defense of our nation. Wow. That is an impressive history, Pastor Mike. But of all that time, what would you say is the most memorable moment from your military service? Is there something that really sticks out to you of like an incredible experience you can't believe that you got to do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, in 5,000 flight hours, there's a whole bunch of things that happen that are really, really, really memorable. But uh, here lately in particular, I've been able to share the following story, and it's really resonated with people. Um, you know, the Vietnam War was celebrated uh, as ending this past week, April 30th. And uh, one of the things that I got to do uh, that really was poignant and, and really was one of my favorite things was I actually got to fly to Hanoi, Vietnam. Wow. And we were tasked on the C-17 aircraft to go and to retrieve human remains under what is known as Operation Full Accounting. And the idea is that as the Vietnamese go in and clean up POW camps and clean up war sites and they find human remains, those remains are brought back to uh, Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii there's DNA testing done, and then the remains are returned back to the family so that they can have proper burial and the family can find closure from uh, the war uh, back back in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s. And so we were tasked to go over. We picked up nine sets of human remains, and we flew those through uh, the island nation of Guam and then back to 
uh, Hickam, where we delivered them uh, to undergo their testing. And just to have those on the airplane, to, to stand in Hanoi, Vietnam, being a student of history like I am, and to understand the magnitude of what that mission was accomplishing was really a, a touching moment, loved it, and it's one that really will always resonate with me uh, about my time in the military. You know, and that really gives credence to the idea of serving other people. I mean, there are so many families that want to know what happened to their loved ones. I've had to serve as a Calgary notification officer on a couple of occasions, and it's not a pleasant thing, and I can't imagine what it's like for families that don't know what happens to their loved ones. They just never came home. So for you to be able to do that is really something impressive. Yeah, that was that was why that was so important to me. Um, like you said, you know, being a casualty um, officer like you were in the military on several occasions and having to give those notifications to families. Uh, I do that now as a police chaplain with the local Colonial Heights Police Department, so I continue to serve my community in that way. And there's just nothing uh, that can ever prepare you for walking up to a mother and telling her her son's never coming home. And so whether it's military, whether it's police, whether it's fire EMS or anything like that, that's definitely an opportunity for us in the faith community to give back to our community around us and, and to help them with that processing. Well, I'm glad you brought up the role of police chaplain. What made you want to get into that? I mean, the time that you spent in the military was clearly uh, somewhat hazardous, especially with Operation Full Accountability in Hanoi, Vietnam. So I I would imagine that there's a certain measure of danger of being a police chaplain. What made you want to get into that? Well, again, it's about service to my community. And here where I live in Colonial Heights, Virginia, I've been through what they call a Citizens Academy. And uh, they take you around to every department in the entire city, and you get to meet all the department heads and hear about what they do. And when we visited the police department, uh, it just really connected with me and the chief. And so I went and talked to him, and I said, hey, you know, I'm a pastor, obviously. I love uh, law enforcement people. Is there any way I can help serve? And he said, actually, my chaplain, one of my chaplains just retired, and if you're willing and able to go through all the background check and the training and that kind of stuff, uh, we'd love to have you come on and serve as chaplain. And so that's what I did, and, I, and I'll tell you, one of the things I miss from my military days is the camaraderie. Yeah. That idea that you're all fighting for the same goal. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, brown, blue, male, female. None of that matters when you're in the heat of the battle. And I find that same thing in the police department. And so when I'm hanging out with the officers and I'm going on ride-alongs and I'm, I'm doing missions and that kind of stuff with them, it, it really brings back that camaraderie and that feel of togetherness that I miss so much from, from the military. So I get as much out of being their chaplain as they get maybe from me being there to help and to serve. That is great. Do you feel like your military experience colored your ability to be a police chaplain? Do you find that that's influenced how you serve in that capacity? Oh, absolutely. Because, it, uh, you know, our military days are built around discipline. And they're built around, you know, following the rules. And and law and order is all about following the rules and making sure everyone else is as well. And so I absolutely think it helped and prepared me for it uh, in terms of how to work as a team, in terms of communication skills. And uh, it it really, really does prepare me or did prepare me and continues to serve me well today. So what would you say uh, is your passion for that particular ministry? I mean, there's so many uh, different aspects of being a police chaplain. What is it that really invigorates you? Is it the camaraderie or is it something else that really gets you going about being a police chaplain? Well, it is the camaraderie. That's the thing that that gets me going. 
but my sense of duty and obligation to my officers, and I call them my officers because I lift them up, pray for them continually, mm-hmm. and I'm there for them and their families through counseling and other things. But here's the thing, and, and it comes back to what we were just talking about a moment ago with the casualty notification side of the job. Our police officers face, in essence, most of their day is spent with the worst of the worst of society. Yep. People that are in uh, have broken the law, they're doing things they're not supposed to do, uh, rarely are they ever told the truth. They're always lied to. They're yelled at. They're spat upon. And, and they begin to encase, if you will, their heart a little bit as a protective mechanism. And then let's say there is someone that passes away, and they've got to now shrug into the skin of humanity and go back and to be empathetic to a mom that's lost her child. And, to, and I don't think that's fair for them. And so I take that burden for them so that they can then continue to do their job at a peak efficiency without having to bear that extra burden of ministering to a family that's lost a loved one. That is really something. Well, I mean, at the heart of everything you're talking about, including, it sounds like, your time in the military, is really a pastoral heart. Like, why did you want to become a pastor in the first place? And how and when did that take place for you? Well, I felt a call to ministry for a long time. My dad's a pastor uh, and actually came to it later in life, and so maybe that's a trend that will continue in my family. I don't know. Uh, but my dad became a pastor when I was a freshman in high school. So most of my growing up years, we were in the church, but we weren't, you know, like part of the ministerial side. Right. And then seeing my dad and what he got to do, and that's just an idea of I love people. Like every Myers-Briggs personality thing I take, I'm off the chart E because I love people and I love being around people and I, and I want to help people. Mm-hmm. And so being a pastor is a way that I can help people. And, of course, I want to, to help them not only here on this side, but to understand the eternity that comes uh, with understanding who Jesus Christ is. Yeah. And so this is a perfect blend of getting to love and serve people and getting to tell them about what I think is the most important fact, which is who Jesus is. Amen. Well, you talked about the influence of your father on you becoming a pastor. What influence have you had on your own kids? I know that your own son has followed in your footsteps and joined the Air Force, but does he have any aspirations of going into ministry, and what has that been like for them, just watching you serve in all these different roles throughout your career? Well, if anything, I think my daughter will probably be the one that comes closer to probably serving in ministry. My son has joined the Air Force. He's an E-5 stationed at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. Is actually deployed to Qatar right now over in the Middle East and, uh, again, is serving our nation in that way. My daughter has become a teacher at my Christian school. Amen. Um, she did two years of ministry training at a leadership school down in South Carolina and is now teaching while she's pursuing and finishing up her four-year degree. And uh, she loves the idea of investing in the next generation. Uh, even two weeks ago, she was looking through Facebook, and someone had posted that they needed a coach for a uh, a 10 to 12 year old girl softball team and her and her friend looked at each other and said well I guess you know we're going to step up to the plate if nobody else will so uh, again about service to the community they volunteer they don't really know anything about softball but if nobody else will we'll step in the gap we'll fill the hole and we'll do that so I think she's probably got really that heart of ministry and that heart of uh, serving and giving back even more than my son does Wow that is a powerful story and you know it's been a number of years since I've lived in Virginia with you, but I absolutely remember uh, that about your daughter and your son and wanting to join the military. It's a really incredible family. That's a testament to your leadership. Well, I appreciate that. It's 
uh, I certainly, with God's grace and understanding, that we've gotten to this point. You know, with teenagers, you never know which way they're going to go. Yeah. So I'm really grateful that God has been so good to us. Well, through all of the good things that your family has experienced, and your time in the military and police chaplain and a pastor, I would imagine that there's a certain measure of sacrifice, things that you and arguably your family has had to give up by you serving in these different capacities. What's that been like for you? The biggest thing that you give up is time. You know, time is the most precious commodity that any of us has. And you've only got 24 hours in each day, and so you've got to allocate your time based on your priorities and what's important. You know, as I served in the military, uh, many days, especially early in my career, I was over uh, temporary duty, which means not at my home base, for over 250 days a year. So I'm spending more time away from my family than, than with my family. And then now, you know, as we're as I serve as a police chaplain, so if I go out on a ride-along, that's a six- to eight-hour shift that I'm not at home with my family. I'm, I'm giving something back to my community. Uh, in addition to that, I'm also on city council, uh, in my town of Colonial Heights. So that's, again, a time commitment to give back to the community. I'm running for the House of Delegates in Virginia, so I have a campaign staff that helps me to, to campaign to run for that. So uh, the thing that is, is always sacrifice is time, and you have to make sure that you have the right balance, that you have the right uh, focus, and that the things that you find most important are the things that get your time. <laughs> Amen. Well, speaking of time, we got about a minute left uh, before we need to go to a commercial, but... I guess my last question to you would be, given all the roles that you have, and you listed even another couple more uh, in your last statement, what advice would you give to young people that are getting ready to retire from the military or maybe some other walk of life and looking for that next way to serve? Well, that's a great question. And uh, really it's about following your passion. Um, find something that you enjoy doing and you'll never work a day in your life. You know, as we uh, many times approach Veterans Day, uh, everyone wants to come up to a veteran and say thanks for serving. It's really hard for me to even take a thanks because I had so much fun doing that. Yeah. And so uh, that's the thing that I would tell people is find what your passion is. Uh, if it's in education like it is for me, I, I'm a head of a Christian school. Uh, I, I love educating other people and, and sharing with that. So um, find your passion, follow your passion, be willing to invest whatever it takes to achieve your goal, and then work hard and keep at it. Amen. Pastor Mike, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on the program today. It's been an honor to just speak with you again and to have you on the program talking about your lessons of servant leadership through all the things that you've done. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the invite. It's always a pleasure. Anytime you need, I'm happy to talk. Thanks so much. When we come back from the break, we'll reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guest. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And it involves everything. News Talk 1400, W-O-N-D. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400, W-O-N-D. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and as we close out today's show, let's just briefly talk about what we've heard from our guests. When we spoke to Pastor Brian and Pastor Mike, there were so many different ways that these two men have served in their community. You heard about where Pastor Mike, he said, well, listen, you know, I served in the military for quite a long time, but then he wanted to continue that journey to have camaraderie, and he served as a police chaplain, and he's running for a delegate. 
He's doing so many different things to give back to his community, including even being a principal of a school. And you heard the man say, you have to find what you love doing. You do that and you never work a day in your life. And they heard Pastor Brian and his journey through faith, how he started out planning a church and then went on to be a youth pastor and then ultimately a senior pastor. And all the journey that was involved with that, praying by people's bedside in the hospital and doing funerals and marriages and preaching sermons. And what I loved about what Pastor Brian said is when you walk through doors that God opens for you, God will make room for your gifts. And that's exactly what God has done in the lives of both of these men. They found what they were passionate about. They found what their giftings are. They walked through the doors that God made available to them. They did the next right thing. And because they're doing what they love, they never have to work a day in their lives. Truly great examples for us to emulate. You know, each week I'd like to just share with you briefly about this idea of when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that I had an opportunity to donate a kidney. And it just so happens that today, May 2nd, 2021, is the five-year anniversary of me having the opportunity to donate a kidney. And I was given an unexpected text during the week and I was invited to go have dinner with my aunt and uncle. And that dinner is actually going to be right after this program today. And it's a celebration dinner. Quite literally, a celebration of life. Of the fact that five years have passed. And not only is my uncle still around and kicking, which I'm extraordinarily thankful for, but he's out living life. He and his wife just had an opportunity to go down the shore this past week, and they post about it on Facebook, and that brought such joy to my heart. And to be able to go and have dinner with him this evening and celebrate his life, the fact that he's still here, the fact that both of us are doing well five years later, and he's able to be active and be with his wife and be that uncle, that friend, that mentor that has meant so much to me over the course of my life just really warms my heart. So beyond the shadow of a doubt, I am truly convinced That when you work hard, when you honor God, when you put good into the universe, so to speak, good will always come back to you. Next week, I have two very special guests to share with you. The first, since it's Mother's Day next week, is actually my bride, the mother of my two children, Heather McCullough. She is a school-based teacher leader. She's been an educator for 23 years, and she is the recipient of multiple teaching awards. And in the second half of the program is Miss Missy Gingrich. She's a friend of my wife. She's a principal. She's a mentor. And she served as a military mom for decades. Very excited about next week's program. I want to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple podcast mailing list through my website. And you can do that at reverenddrpaul.com. That's R-E-V-D-R-Paul.com. And when you go to the site, check out the show tab for previous episodes of this program. Listen, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening today, and join us again 
next week. Pleasantville.